You are listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast, your weekly dose of knowledge brought to you by the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program in Bakersfield, California, a UCLA-affiliated program sponsored by Clinica Sierra Vista. Let us be your healthcare home. This podcast was created for educational purposes only. Visit your primary care provider for additional medical advice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Rio Bravo Q Week. This is our episode number 144. Wow, I can't believe we have been here for 144 episodes. This is crazy. My name is Hector Ariasa. I'm a faculty member of the Rio Bravo Family Medicine Residency Program. Today is June 29, 2023. We're going to be talking about pediatric obesity again because it's a, it's a topic that is very extensive. And I'm glad that Christina, she volunteered to join us today to talk more about pediatric obesity. So thank you, Christina, for being here. Can you please introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, Dr. Ariaza. My name is Christina Lal, and I'm a third-year medical student from Western University College of Osteopathic Medicine of the Pacific. And Christina said that she has a special interest in pediatrics. So I'm very happy that she's going to be pursuing that that goal because we need a lot of pediatricians in our country. Yes, I'm very excited. Yeah. Let's talk about pediatric obesity. Uh, Christina, can you give us an introduction about your topic? Yeah. So obesity is one of the most common pediatric chronic diseases affecting over 14 million children and adolescents, about twice the population of New Jersey, actually. A recent simulation study from the U.S. found that by 2030, a staggering 55 to 60 percent of today's children will be obese. Wow. That's one in four children in California. And they have obesity. So it's a big problem that we have here. Yeah, research shows that the ages between zero and five years is a critical period in the development of overweight and obesity. Obesity has complex genetic, physiologic, socioeconomic, and environmental contributors. Pediatricians and other primary care physicians need to be aware of the risk factors for pediatric obesity to provide early anticipatory guidelines for prevention, close monitoring, and early intervention when the weight trajectory increases. Well, you mentioned the, the, there is a key word on the definition you, you mentioned. It was a disease. So since 1998, the National Institutes of Health, they recognize obesity as a disease. In 2013, the American Medical Association, they also accepted the definition of obesity as a disease. So many of our listeners might disagree with that statement, but as for me, I agree. I agree that uh, obesity is a disease. It has many of the elements that describe a chronic disease. So, but you can do your own research. You can convince yourself that it's a disease. But yeah, we're going to be discussing the risk factors today. Yeah, so um, just kind of going over the risk factors for children and adolescents to develop overweight and obesity, we'll be kind of diving deep into the general, environmental, and familial factors. So starting off broad and going in more specific. This is based off of the AAP, American Academy of Pediatrics, Clinical Practice Guidelines for the Evaluation and Treatment of Children and Adolescents with Obesity and Other Related Articles. Yeah, and I like that they are, <clears throat> excuse me, they're using the people's first language. So they say children and adolescents with obesity. So we're trying to educate our listeners and our residents and everyone to use that kind of language. 
instead of calling obese children, so we say children with obesity. So that's important to, to remind everyone. Mm -hmm. So this guideline uh, was published in February 2023, and it is available online for free. So you can go and download it and read about it. We're just going to give you a brief interview, a brief introduction about this. And actually, this is the first edition of the guidelines that they are publishing, the American Academy of Pediatrics. So we're going to start talking about the general factors right now. And the number one that they mention is the socioeconomic status. Yeah, so a longitudinal analysis of predominantly non-Hispanic white children in the United States found that low socioeconomic status before two years of age was associated with higher obesity risk by adolescents in both boys and girls. Yeah, uh, I mean, the low socioeconomic status is related to toxic stress, limited access to healthy foods, and, and lower rates of physical activity, unfortunately. Yeah. The next topic is children and families that have immigrated to the U.S. Recently arrived immigrants tend to be healthier than their U.S.-born counterparts. However, as immigrants try to adjust to new culture, they may adapt to Americanized foodways, which are higher in fat, sugar, and salt. Second-generation Hispanic immigrants are 55% more likely to have obesity than non-immigrant white children, whereas first-generation Asian immigrants had a 63% lower risk of having obesity. Also, larger body sizes may be an indication of health and wealth in some cultures. This cultural factor may make it more difficult for parents to understand the gravity of their children's obesity. Yeah. <clears throat> you mentioned three key ingredients on highly successful foods, fat, sugar, and salt. Mm -hmm. That's what makes, um, that they make food taste very good. So, but this is a common concern among Hispanic families. The, the part that you mentioned that larger sizes, they are seen, they are seen as healthier. So uh, when the, the parents bring their children to, to our clinic, sometimes they, they ask for vitamins. You know, they feel like vitamins will increase their appetite and they will, they will make them gain weight. So, and then um, you have to reassure the parents that their BMI is normal, is normal, and that they can continue with their lives. They don't have to be overweight or they, they don't have to have obesity to, to be healthy. And that's something that can happen not only to Hispanics, but also to other cultures. So as primary care physicians, we have to be prepared to address that concern in our clinic. Yeah, I would say that's even similar in Indian cultures, too. Indian grandmas love to feed their grandkids. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to see that that goes, like, I mean, it goes along in other cultures, too. Yeah, yeah our grandmas are, are good feeders, good providers. <laughs> <laughs> so, and also we have to talk about the neighborhoods and the communities because we have uh, different environments that we are exposed to as children. Yeah, so the first being school environment. We know that school can have an impact on children in many ways, one being the presence of fast food, vending machines, and other sweetened beverages in schools can have a negative influence on children's food choices. Their effect is larger in younger grades. Yeah, and uh, one day I went to have lunch with Devin. Devin is my youngest child, and he's in the sixth grade. And uh, I was happy to see that they had the salad bar and the fruit bar before going to other foods. So I, mm -hmm. I was very happy with the school because they are promoting 
uh, healthy eating in our in our children in some some schools, of course. Oh, it's really nice. So the la- the next thing is lack of fresh food access. So neighborhoods' food environment has been shown to have mixed association with children's BMI. Children and families in their settings may be unable to access fresh food and vegetables and safe physical activity spaces. There may be limitations in transportation, cost, affordability, and availability. Yeah, fresh foods are important. You know, raw foods, they have uh, uh, less chances of having uh, more chemicals. And we're going to be talking about chemicals later, but also we have to talk about fast food. Fast food is, it tastes very good for children. You know, it has... First, it's cheap, it's, it has a lot of calories, but it has a, le- a high level of saturated fats and simple carbs, sugar, and sodium, and they are commonly sold in fast food restaurants because they are easily available, they taste good, and they are strategically marketed. Fast foods tend to be popular among children and adolescents. Yeah, some studies, not all, have shown an association between fast food locations near school and obesity in children. A stronger association is seen in populations with lower socioeconomic status. So the next is access to safe physical activity. Greater exposure to green space has been shown to be associated with higher levels of physical activity and lower risk of obesity. Yeah, and that is something that we have to recommend during our well-child visits. We are seeing a lot of aversion to go outside among new generations or the newer generation of our kids. You know, go out, going out seems to be a torture for many of them when they find so much fun inside their houses, like a large amount of food, video games, and air conditioning and heater. Mm-hmm. So going out seems to be very stressful for them. So we have to make sure that we promote playing outside. That's something that I recommend always to my to the parents who come to my clinic. You know, recommend to play at least one hour of playing every every day. Um, especially during the summer because, you know, during the summer, the kids, they are at home and they, they tend to have more time in front of the TV. So recommend the, the parents to, to encourage kids to go outside. Yeah, so the next is environmental health. So exposure to environmental hazards during the prenatal period, infancy, and childhood can have impacts on the health and well-being of children. Yeah, these are chemicals that actually they they mention those chemicals as endocrine disrupting chemicals, and uh, they may occur uh, through breastfeeding. You can be exposed to them through breastfeeding, inhalation, ingestion, and absorption through the skin. So we're basically surrounded by chemicals, and they, and they're using cleaning agents, food packaging, pesticides, fabrics, etc. So we are exposed through our lives to many chemicals, but exposure during Early childhood can affect programming of several systems, including the endocrine and metabolic systems, which may affect the BMI in the future, and also um, increase the risk for cardiovascular and metabolic diseases. Yeah, so the next big topic is family and home environmental factors, first being parenting feeding styles. So it was described as having four types of parent feeding styles, first being authoritative, where you are responsive to your children and warm with high expectations. Next is authoritarian, where you're not responsive, but you have high expectations. Next is permissive or indulgent, where you're responsive and warm, but lenient with few rules. And last is negligent, not responsive with few rules. So let's repeat those um, parenting styles. 
authoritative, authoritarian, permissive or indulgent and negligent. So we can give some examples. Like we were playing and this role play before we were recording. So mm -hmm. authoritative would be like, you have to eat your green beans because it's good for your health. So go ahead. I'm here to support you. You can do it. You know, that's kind of authoritative. Mm -hmm. So uh, authoritarian will be more like, you have to eat your green beans no matter what. And I don't care what you think. You mm -hmm. know, eat them. And permissive will be more like, You don't have to eat them if you don't want to. You can go and eat some candy. That's okay. Mm -hmm. I'll give you some ice cream instead. <laughs> and then uh, negligent will be like, I don't care what you eat, eat what you want. Yeah. So the, those are the different parenting styles that you mentioned. And it seems like the one with the best uh, protective effect is the authoritative, right? Yeah. Um, authoritative feeding where children respond to, uh, sorry, parents respond to children's cue of hunger and satiety is considered to be protective against excessive weight gain. Children from authoritative parenting homes have been shown to eat more healthier foods, be more physically active and have healthier BMIs compared to children who are raised in homes with authoritarian, permissive or indulgent or negligent parenting styles. No, I'm curious, like, what kind of parent am I? You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I'm authoritative, but I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, sometimes I think I go between styles. Sometimes I can be lenient. Sometimes I can be more uh, strict. But, you know, it's important to remember that uh, you, we have to educate our kids to eat well, to eat healthy. Right. The next is sugar-sweetened beverages within the home. A uh, systematic review of 20 prospective cohort studies and randomized controlled trials from 2013 to 2015 found that sugar-sweetened beverages were positively associated with obesity in children in all but one study. Yeah, um, I call them sugary drinks, and they're easy to find everywhere. Sometimes it's easier than water to find, mm. a, you know, a Coke. And um, and they, they, it, they are loaded in carbs. You know, they, people tend to think that drinks don't count toward their calories, toward their daily intake, because they think they, they're just drinks, you know, but they can be high and heavy in carbs. So, for example, orange juice can have up to 25 grams of sugar in one cup, and some sodas may have doubled that um, that amount of sugar. So both are high in sugar and both are, they can promote uh, weight gain in children. Yeah, also portion sizes and snacking behavior. There's been um, a positive association between those two things in obesity, but uh, we need more long-term studies. Next, we're going to talk about dining out and family meals. Eating outside of the home, irrespective of the type of restaurant establishment visited, is associated with a higher risk of weight or BMI gain. Conversely, two meta-analyses found that increased frequency of eating family meals was associated with lower risk of childhood obesity. That's interesting. I wonder what they put on the, on the food on the restaurants, right? Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, eating in your home with your family is better and it's, it's, uh, it's been uh, proven to be beneficial for weight loss and to prevent weight gain. So, and now the next topic, uh, it's, it's, a, it's like a daily fight that I have with my kids and mm -hmm. I feel like all the parents out there, they're probably, they can relate to that is uh, screen time. Yeah, recent meta-analysis reported 42% greater risk of overweight or obesity with more than two hours per day of television compared with two or fewer hours. 
A meta-analysis also showed that even shorter exposure to unhealthy foods and beverage marketing targeted to children resulted in increased dietary intake and behavior during and after the exposure. Marketing can occur through TV, websites, online gaming, supermarkets, and outside the school. Male children and adolescents tend to be uh, tend to spend more time on media screen devices and other internet technologies than female counterparts. Yeah, and there is not a conclusive guideline about this, but in general, we can, for example, recommend sleep hygiene principles to avoid um, insomnia or abnormal sleep. For example, to avoid screens one hour before bed that can promote a better sleep in, in children. And, uh, you know, screens, like you mentioned, is not only that they are sedentary, but they're also seeing messages that they can promote weight gain. So it's both, it's like a... a, a, a Double a, negative. Exactly. So, <laughs> and we're going to be talking about sedentary behavior now. Yeah, so there hasn't been an association, but there are many confounding factors like we've talked about, right? Physical activity, screen time, intake of unhealthy foods, all kind of relate to the sedentary behavior. Um, Also, sleep duration. Children 13 years and younger with shorter sleep durations, around uh, 10 hours, had a 76% increased risk of overweight or obesity compared with their counterparts with longer sleep durations, around 12.2 hours. Sleep restriction may be associated with increased calorie consumption, fatigue, and decreased physical activity. Yeah, uh, and sleep is something, is an aspect that we always evaluate during our well-child visits. So sleeping is important for development. So we have to make sure that we assess that in clinic. You know, kids are supposed to, to sleep between 10 and 12 hours, and even more than 12 hours in, in younger age. So we have to make sure that we assess that during our visits. Yeah, so next is environmental smoke exposure. Children under eight years old exposed to environmental tobacco smoke have been found to have higher BMI compared with their non-exposed counterparts. Yeah, and I wonder if this is a direct or indirect effect of smoke. So we don't know. Yeah. Next is... Psychosocial stress. A meta-analysis showed that prenatal psychological stress was associated with higher risk of childhood and adolescent obesity. Psychosocial and emotional issues may lead to weight gain through maladaptive coping mechanisms, including eating in the absence of hunger to suppress negative emotions, appetite upregulation, low-grade inflammation, decrease in physical activity, increase in sedentary behavior, and sleep disturbances like we've all kind of discussed so far. Depression has been shown to be a risk factor in both pediatric and adult obesity. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting that you mentioned that even before babies are born, you know, the stress can cause an effect on them. So and we had an episode about epigenetics where we talked about that, but that's very interesting too. So if you're pregnant or if you have pregnant patients, so make sure that they are not so stressed. Yeah. And last but not least, we're going to talk about adverse childhood experiences, ACEs. ACEs include a history of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse, exposure to domestic violence, household dysfunction from prenatal, sorry, parental divorce or substance abuse, economic insecurity, mental illnesses, and or loss of parents because of a death or incarceration. 
A study found that having many ACEs increased two times the risk of children having overweight or obesity compared with children with no history of ACEs. Stress may result in abnormal coping mechanisms such as binge eating, eating in the absence of hunger, impulsive eating, and poor sleep hygiene, which may result in further waking. Yeah, and I'm very happy that we are going to well, we already started screening everyone for ACEs here in clinic and throughout our system. Um, clinica Sierra Vista, we're going to start soon. And uh, Dr. Axelson actually has been the leader on that because we see that um, all the those childhood events, they can influence many diseases in adulthood. So how can we wrap up this episode, Christina? Do you have any final words for us? Yeah, I mean, the consequences of childhood obesity are far-reaching and extend beyond physical health issues. Children with obesity are more likely to experience a range of health complications, including type 2 diabetes, high blood pressure, sleep apnea, joint problems, and psychological issues such as low self-esteem and depression. Moreover, children with obesity are at a higher risk of carrying these weight-related problems into adulthood, increasing their susceptibility to chronic conditions such as cardiovascular disease, certain types of cancer, and premature mortality. As providers, we all need to keep general, environmental, and familial factors in mind when discussing weight changes amongst our pediatric patients. Having knowledge of such influences will help us intervene and prevent further progression. Yeah, and I think uh, a key element when you're providing care for kids with obesity is to be kind, to be caring, mm -hmm. because uh, we have to be empathetic that this problem was not caused by a personal choice. Mm -hmm. So they, they are not deciding to have obesity. So like you mentioned, there's many factors that are influencing these kids to gain weight. So we have to be um, tactful to be a caring about that, about that situation because we don't want to blame anyone. We don't want to blame the parents. We don't want to blame the, the children. But we want to make sure that we address this problem. And it's not easy. Honestly, treating obesity in kids is difficult. But if we involve multiple disciplines, you know, nutrition, behavioral health, um, and even um, even if we need to, somebody who, to help exercise with the kids, I think it, we can be successful. So this was a good introduction, Christina, for those guidelines. And I hope our listeners can get motivated to go and read the guidelines because they're very interesting. They contain a lot of good advice for all of us. So thank you so much. Thank you, Dr. Ariaza, for having me. Now we conclude episode number 144, Risk Factors for Pediatric Overweight and Obesity. Future Dr. Lau reminded us that childhood obesity is a disease linked to multiple risk factors, including, but not limited to, low socioeconomic status, lack of access to safe spaces for exercise, parenting feeding styles, sleep disturbances, and adverse childhood events. Dr. Ariasa emphasized the importance of providing obesity care with kindness and empathy, especially when caring for pediatric patients. This week, we thank Hector Ariasa and Christina Lau. Audio editing by Adrian Silva. Even without trying, every night you go to bed a little wiser. Thanks for listening to Rio Bravo Q Week podcast. We want to hear from you. Send us an email at RioBravoQWeek at ClinicaSierraVista.org or visit our website 
RioBravoFMRP.org/QWeek. See you next week.